0: I don't know if you often feel the same way that I feel, but from time to time, I'll get invited to a a dinner, dinner party of sorts, or a, a celebration. It could be a fundraiser. It could be a, a reception. And then I think, oh, no, I'm going to have to go sit with people I don't know and have to come up with small talk. Now, if, if you're an introvert, the idea of small talk is like the most terrifying thing in the world. In fact, we if you're an introvert, this is how we think. It's like we will we'll come home from that event, and we'll think, well, I just made a fool of myself. I never said anything. Now, I understand, I've been told, that extroverts come home from that same event, and this is the thought that they have. Oh, no, all I did was talk the whole time and made a fool of myself. I don't know, but I'm on the introverted side, and when I get invited to something, am like, oh, and every once in a while, Kelly will have something at work, and it's really like, okay, I need you to come, and I'm like, oh okay, and I want to be supportive, and I'm like, I'm going to be sitting at a table with a whole bunch of people I don't know, except I have noticed recently that I keep getting put next to the same guy, and like, you know, like randomly, and I'll sit at the table, and I'm like, oh, this is who I'm sitting with, and it's like, oh, no, because small talk is so hard, so I sat with this guy on several occasions now, and he's just not much of a talker, I've discovered, in fact, I'm not sure that he even knows my name after we've, you know, spent this time together. Now, I've asked him a lot of questions about him, about his family and and all of these different things, but it's just difficult and it's just awkward and sometimes those conversations around the table can be sort of awkward. At the same time, sometimes conversations around a table can be really good and enriching and enjoyable. And maybe you've had that experience where you sit with friends and sometimes it's at a, at a party or maybe it's at a holiday celebration. And you just sit around the table and you, and you talk and you laugh and you enjoy that conversation. I remember this with my kids growing up. After dinner, we just loved to sit around the table and talk. And, and I always thought it was because my kids just appreciated and enjoyed their parents so much. And as I look back on that now, I realize that the longer they got to sit at the dinner table, they didn't have to mess with their homework. And, uh, but I'm still going with that first version there that is because they loved their parents so much. But I have some great memories of being around the table. But we want to talk about this idea of gathering around the table and talking today. How do we make these conversations good and enjoyable conversations as opposed to awkward and difficult conversations? Because they can become that way, especially... If the talk around the table, the table talk, is spiritual conversations with somebody who might not be a Jesus follower, somebody that's maybe more difficult to talk about spiritual things. You know, we've been told that you never talk about politics, and everybody violates that rule. And we never talk about religion, and for whatever reason, we like to keep that rule. But sometimes we get in those situations, and we've been talking about this the past couple of weeks, about, you know, God wants everybody at the table. And even last week, who are those people in your sphere of influence that you can gather around the table, and where you can start to have spiritual conversations. And even as I say that, some of you are sitting there going, I don't know about that. That feels really hard. That feels really awkward to me. Well, what we want to do, though, is we want this morning to go to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to see a story where Jesus sat around the table and had some conversation. And let's just be real honest out of the gate. This was awkward conversation. So as we look at this story, we're not going to look at it and go, oh, this is how to make it all go well. It didn't go particularly well. And so that's actually one of the caveats that we start with here this morning. It wasn't a great conversation. It was awkward. It didn't go well. And if you're going to be brave enough to step into spiritual conversations with people who may not be Jesus followers or church folks or religious just be aware of the fact that it might not go well, and that will be okay. A second caveat as we look at this story, it this. This story is really not about how to have a conversation spiritually. This is a story that Jesus tells, that, that has, well, this is a story that, that actually Luke tells about Jesus that, that has a different point to it, and I admit that right out of the gate, Okay? But we're going to still observe what happens in this story. Because when Jesus told his disciples to come follow me, it wasn't just to sit underneath his teaching. It was to observe what he did and how he interacted, how he treated people, and how he even handled himself in an awkward situation. And so I think it's fair for us to look at this, even though it's not the main point of the passage, but to look at this and say, hey, there's something I can learn here about conversations around the dinner table. Here's the third caveat before we go any further. This is not an area of expertise for me either. I'm not going to sit up here and share a bunch of stories about how I get together with people who aren't Christ followers and how I'm just like magical in my conversation when I meet with them. I've already told you I'm an introvert. Some of you know that about me. And I've already told you that, you know, even these conversations where I, or, or these situations where I go where I'm sitting with people or even fellow Christians, I have a hard time just making general conversations. So I struggle with this too. And so I say that because I am an introvert, but I say it also because I want to get better at it. Because there are people in my life that I want to be able to share Jesus with that I want to be able to engage in spiritual conversations. So here's my question for you this morning. If we could identify some ideas that might be helpful, would you be willing to give this a try? And that's the question I have to ask myself too. Okay, am I ready? Am I willing to try this? Even if it feels something like uncomfortable to me or something I'm not familiar with? Because I think it's more doable and what we realize. And we can have conversations with people who may not be Jesus followers that are just fine and actually can be helpful for both of us. So let's look at this story, Luke chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. We looked at the second half of this story two weeks ago where Jesus tells a story about a parable about a great banquet and how everybody's invited, and that's really where we've taken the theme of this series, Everyone Eats. But here's the backstory to it. And we start reading in verse number one. One Sabbath, that's important. This is a Sabbath. When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, this is a contrast to last week's message where Jesus went to eat at Matthew's house. When Matthew was a tax collector, and Matthew invited his tax collector friends, and Matthew also in, invited all the the, the, uh, the deplorables of society, as they might have been, been called. And it's where he was condemned for hanging out with the low life this time he gets invited to the the to the high life and he goes and sits with this prominent pharisee it's interesting to me that he does both and that jesus was not really intimidated by either situation so if it was a loud raucous crowd which it probably was last week at matthew's place that's fine he feels okay with going there, or when it's a little bit more of an uptight, stiff crowd, like the Pharisees here, he's okay with that too. Jesus managed to navigate all spectrums of that, and and we can too. But it tells us this, verse number two, in front of him, a man was suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. And what we get here is probably a setup, to be completely honest, that the Pharisees have invited Jesus on the Sabbath, don't forget that, so that he could sit there and see this man who had obviously a physical affliction, who needed healing, and they would kind of see what Jesus did. And it was really meant to be a trap, to be completely honest. Jesus got that. Jesus knew that. Jesus still went. And so he sits down, there's this guy who's sitting there who obviously needs healing, but it's the Sabbath. So what does Jesus do? This is a setup because if he heals the man well, he's been working on the Sabbath, and he's open to, to condemnation there. So here's what Jesus does. He says this in verse number 3 to the Pharisees and experts in the law. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed the man and set him on his way. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm healed. Here, this guy needs healing. I'm going to heal you. And really, I think you've been brought in here, guys, so that we can make a spectacle of you. I'm going to go ahead and let you leave, so we don't have to, you know, have you be the center of attention here and be uncomfortable. And then he goes on in verse number 5, and he asks them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out and again they had nothing to say. And so this is a very one-sided conversation here. Jesus asks, you know, can we heal on the Sabbath? So he heals the guy, and everybody's still sitting there. Nobody's saying anything. And finally Jesus says this again, and everybody's sitting there. And finally Jesus said, okay, you know what? If nobody wants to talk, I'm going to go ahead and talk here. And so in verse number 7, he says, when he noticed how the guests take places of honor at the table... He told them this parable. This is interesting to me. It's called a parable. But he says this, when, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't sit at the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place, but when you're invited, go ahead, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exhausted. And Jesus is like, you know what? If everybody's going to sit here in silence, I'm just going to go ahead and make a point. And, and we get this. We've been to wedding receptions, and usually we put the, uh, we put the, uh, the bride and, and then the bridal party or at the head table. And then when we do the, the next tables closest to them, we put the parents and, and maybe if there are other family members that weren't in the, the bridal party, they sit there. And we kind of keep working that way out until there's people all the way in the back corners of the reception hall. And, and both the bride and groom are like, I wonder if that's you know, from her family or I wonder if that's from his family because really nobody knows who they are. And Jesus is, is playing on this and saying, hey, sit in the back and let people invite you to the better place. But what he's doing here... Is he's calling them out, because what's been happening here is they've all been jockeying for position to see who can sit closest to the host, and if you get the best seat, well then, you know, it's like having a little, like, cloud, or not a cloud, like a rainbow above you or something, like, oh, everybody look at him. Look where he's sitting, look where he is sitting, or is seated. There we go, we'll try to separate those two words, and, and, you know, they, they feel important then. So he calls them out for how they've been jockeying for position. And then he goes ahead and says, you know what? I just called out the, the, the everybody who's at this banquet that I'm at. Let's go ahead and hit the host, too. So let's see what he has to say to the host. Verse number 12, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be replayed. In other words, don't invite people just so you can get a return invite. Instead, verse number 13, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous someday down the road. If you will just take care of the, the least fortunate, the less fortunate than you, God will make sure that you're taken care of in the end. And so he calls out the host, because the host had obviously made his guest list up, like, okay. Who will be, you know, if I can get this person to come, that will be impressive to start with. And secondly, maybe that person will be inviting me back and I've really wanted to see the inside of, of his house anyhow. And So, you know, we talked about that word reciprocity. That's what he's looking for in this situation. And so Jesus calls out both of them and basically uses this situation to go into what we talked about two weeks ago where Jesus invites all of us to come to his party there's no reciprocity there. God gets nothing out of it that he needs. He can get our worship. But he invites us to come anyhow, and everybody's invited, and everyone eats. All right, so we look at that story, and we say, what can we learn here about having spiritual conversations? Because it's not really what this Jesus is talking about, and yet we can see some of what Jesus did in this situation. And so let me mention Several things here that we can pull out of this story. We'll go through these pretty quickly here this morning. First of all, Jesus went where he was invited. Jesus went where he was invited, whether it was to Matthew's house or the Pharisee's house. He went and he mixed with people. And if we're going to have spiritual conversations, it seems pretty obvious here that we have to put ourselves in situations where we will be able to have conversations with people who don't know Jesus. And maybe it'll be that you're actually invited. Years ago, I used to pay, play in a, uh, a soccer league, a, a, a men's soccer league. Um, I played for the Storm and, and uh, with a whole bunch of guys who, were, believe me, were not church guys. But after, after soccer, every time they would, they would go to Applebee's, and they would say, hey, do you want to go to Applebee's with us? And you know what I did? I went to Applebee's. And, you know, I didn't stay for the whole thing or whatever else like that. But you have to be with these people to have some conversation with these people. And we need to remind ourselves of that. In fact, we need to work on that in our lives. I appreciated what what John and Tammy said. We have to be relational. If if we are going to be involved in this great process of God of bringing people to himself— As his messengers of the good news, we have to be intentional about our relationships. We talked about that last week, that little network mapping. And hopefully you took a little bit of time to do that this week. But we have to be intentional about relationships. And when Jesus had this invitation, "Come, come sit at my table. Sure, I'll come sit at your table. Because who knows the conversation that might take place here. Secondly, we see that Jesus demonstrated care and concern for those in attendance. At least the one guy. When he came in the door, there's this guy who has this obviously physical need, and Jesus says, you know what, let's go ahead and heal this person. But it's important to us to get this idea, because a lot of times we walk into these situations where, you know, we're with people who might not be Jesus followers, or people we don't have any idea what's going on in their life, or people that are strangers to us, and we feel very intimidated and very self-conscious. And so we sit there and we think everybody's looking at me, or if I speak up and say something here, I'll say something dumb or stupid, and then everybody will look at me. When Jesus walked into the room, there's no level of self-consciousness in that regard as he goes there. It's not like I wonder what people will think of me. He walks in and goes, oh, check out that guy right there. And if we would walk into situations with our focus being on the person that we're talking to rather than the person that's talking to them, we do a whole lot better with this conversation. And John and Tammy, both you guys mentioned this too, it's like in relationships you have to demonstrate the fact that you care. And what do we see Jesus when he walks into this room? What is the thing that is demonstrated here? I care about people who have... Needs. Last year, week, we talked about people with names and with needs. Same thing going on in this situation here. Third thing that we observe is his use of questions. Use of questions. Now, in this situation, as Jesus uses questions, he uses them almost in an in um, aggressive way, to be completely honest. He asks questions, and, and the answers to these questions are going to— put the, the Pharisees in a difficult situation. And yet he asks these questions instead of making accusations, so, so it, it backs it off a little bit. But as he asks these questions, what does he do? It forces people to think in certain ways. And so they're sitting there, you shouldn't have healed on the Sabbath, and he's like, wait a minute. If you have a kid that falls into a well, are you going to say, hey, here's a sandwich. I'll come back and get you tomorrow if it's on a Sabbath day? And so they have to step back and go, wait a minute, I need to think about that. But when we have conversations, I think we have it in our mind that we need to be telling people things. And that's not the truth. What we need to do is ask people things. Jesus was the master question asker. In fact, they, they tell us that Jesus asked 307 different questions. Now, I didn't count them. If you want to do something fun this week, you can go through and see if you can find the 307 questions that Jesus asked. But why did he ask so many questions? Because he wanted people to process things. This is a great tool that we can use when we're talking about spiritual conversations because we don't need to tell people anything. We can simply ask questions. What do you think about this? You know, uh, have you ever consider this or what are your thoughts on this? What are your opinions on this? I think an interesting even illustration where Jesus used this was with Peter and with the disciples. Hey, hey, who do people say that I am? Disciples? Uh, I think maybe John the Baptist or Elijah or whatever. Okay, who do you say that I am? And it's getting response. Now, on top of that, it's inviting them into the conversation. So now we're talking with Instead of at. But we could just throw out a question there and say, hey, what do you think about this? So I'm engaging with these people when I'm asking questions. But I'm also communicating this. I want to learn. I want to know more about you. I'm actually valuing you by inviting you into this conversation and by asking you to even give your input into this situation. And I can make suggestions here without even having to be particularly dogmatic. Now... I grew up in a situation in a a, um, church where we were very concerned with outreach and evangelism, but it was very confrontational. We asked a lot of questions, but those those questions were really confrontational. Like we would start out, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Well, if you walk up to a stranger on on the street, that's kind of like, whoa, what just happened here? And then while well, they stood there in shock, we would go on the next question. If I could show you from the scripture how you could be sure that you're going to heaven, would you like to Would you like to hear that? And we were supposed to nod with that too. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is having conversations with people and asking questions about them. Hey, how are you doing today? Or maybe it's somebody you know a little bit. Hey, you know, um, how are things going to work? I heard there's kind of some rough stuff going on there. Or, Man, I, I've heard there's some, you know, you have the how are your kids doing? Oh, really? Tell me more about that. Okay, those are spiritual conversations, too, because they take us to places where we can share our faith in, in, in not offensive or in confrontational ways. And we can say, you know, hey, how do you feel about this? Or, or what's your view on this? Or, boy, I've been wondering about this. How is it for you? And so Jesus was the master of asking questions. And what I would encourage all of us is with this is I don't have to make any big statements and I don't have to pull out my chart and and go through all of these different things. You know, here's that I need to tell you. It's just like, can I ask you some questions? Because the, the answers to the questions lead me to the next question. And eventually I can get to that, well, have you ever considered faith? Or, you know, like, boy, we were talking about that at church. You know, what do you think about this that I heard? And we can encourage conversation that way. Number four here we see, Jesus listened, or at least he tried to listen. There was just silence. But Jesus puts those questions out there looking for a response. But if we're going to ask questions, one of the best things we can do is to wait for response. And a lot of times we get nervous and we just start talking and we just go on to the next thing. Like, listen to the next question Or listen to the answer, rather, because that will give you a clue to what the next question is. And so I ask a question, and you respond this way, and then I can follow up to what you said. And that allows the other person, then, to actually set that agenda. And little by little, that conversation can move towards spiritual things. But we need to be better listeners, So many times we're just on to the next question on our list, and we haven't taken time to say, hey, you know what? I care about what you just said. Let me ask a follow-up question about what you just said right here. And in that give and take, it leads us to where we're going. Back a couple weeks ago, I told a story about a kid that I called Joe at at, uh, Oakland Community College. That I shared down and we were talking about, you know, first of all, I sat down and said, tell me a little bit about yourself. And as the conversation goes, I asked questions. I asked something about his mom. And he's like, oh, my mom passed away three years ago. Oh. Well, that's like really important information to know. So, like, we talk a little bit about that. And I'm like, wow. I said, man, what you guys have dealt with this in your family. What do you think happens next? Well, we have this really interesting conversation. It happened to be about reincarnation. Can you imagine that? But where did the question come? It came from the fact that he said something about his mother passing away, which led to a question, and I could keep asking questions, but he provided that information. You know, most of us in life, we need somebody to listen to us. There's a lot of people out there that are lonely. If somebody would listen to them, they would have a They'd be happy to have a conversation if we would just learn to listen. Fifth thing here. He talked about things with them that had significant proximity. What did he talk about? He talked about kids falling in wells. Now, maybe they didn't have kids that fell in wells, but they did have kids, probably. He talked about oxen. They probably had oxen. He talked about going to wedding feasts and everybody sitting there, and probably everybody had been to a wedding. He talked about what had just gone on in the room where they were sitting. And he just picked different things that were just kind of common ground type things. And sometimes I think we have this idea, i got to go to a spiritual conversation and pick something that's, you know, this spiritual thing. Just pick whatever. And you can talk about that because everything that's just common to us has spiritual implications to us. We can just go there with whatever happens next in the situation. Because... Something comes up and you can say, well, tell me about that. And well, what were you thinking? Well, tell me why you were thinking that way. But you start with common ground. The next thing here we see in this story is that he made use of story. He told this parable is what it actually says. And this doesn't feel very much like a parable. Maybe it was more of a parable when it was given. And Luke is just kind of taking the idea, the principle of the parable and reporting it to us. But he told a story, and story is one of the most powerful communication tools that we have when it comes to talking to people about our faith. Because people can dispute your claims, but they can't dispute your story. And we all have stories. Back in our storyboard series here, we, um, we shared different people's stories, and you're like, oh, wow, check out their story. They've got that great story. I don't really have one of those. Oh, yes, you do. Now, your story may not be, you know, this dramatic thing of how you came to Christ or this incredible thing that you had to overcome from your past, but you have stories. I have stories. I mean, I have stories of, like, my mom, who was given two years to live, lived 17 years cancer-free, and we believe that, you know, God healed her. Well, that's a story that I can tell, I, I have stories even though I lost a child. I can tell that story. Sometimes that comes up because somebody else has lost. We all have stories that we can tell. It doesn't have to be just the moment we came to Christ. It's when, in our story, our faith meant something to us. And God showed up in a big way. And I can just say, you know, there's this one time and I was dealing with this and I can remember just praying about this. And, and you know, then this person came into my life and it was like this answer to this prayer and, That's a story, and those stories have impact. We can share these stories. And then lastly, I would say here, he didn't take responsibility for their response. How did this whole situation go? It didn't go great. It wasn't like when he got all done, everybody's like, thank you so much, Jesus, for sharing that with us. You have pointed out the errors of our ways. We are forever grateful to you. Our lives are changed. It doesn't end that way didn't matter because Jesus understood that his responsibility wasn't to create a response his responsibility was just to encourage a conversation or a thought we're really short on time here but I want to show this video and it's going to take a little bit here this is something that we use at InterVarsity and it's it has to do with this um idea of a spiritual conversation but in a little different direction so let's take a look
1: how does someone go from disinterested in faith to considering Jesus two friends Doug and Don listened to the stories of thousands of people who once were indifferent to faith but then decided to follow Jesus in their adult lives as they interviewed a diverse group of women and men about how they came to faith they found a pattern. Almost everyone went through the same five stages. At first, they begin to trust a Christian friend. Then they become curious. Curiosity develops into openness, which eventually leads to an intentional exploration of Jesus and finally to a decision of faith. They called these five stages, the five thresholds. Here's an overview. At the start of the journey, People move from distrust to trust. People today often start in a place of skepticism or distrust towards Christians. In the first threshold, they shift into a relationship of trust with a Christian friend. Next, they move from indifferent to curious. It's possible for someone to trust somebody for years at a time and yet show no interest or curiosity about faith. The second threshold is where their curiosity is sparked though someone becomes curious in the second threshold, they still need to see how spiritual things relate to their personal life. In the third threshold, the curious person starts to become open to change as they see how faith might relate to their own life. They move from meandering to seeking. This threshold is where someone moves from simply being open to change to seeking specifically after Jesus. They ask questions and pursue satisfying answers as they engage in scripture and community. They move into the kingdom and follow Jesus. This is the wonderful moment when someone has counted the cost, puts their trust in Jesus, and decides to follow him for the very first time. The five thresholds have helped thousands of people engage in a journey of faith and say yes to following Jesus. Though this process can be understood, it can't be rushed. The Five Thresholds help us to patiently and faithfully participate in a process of growth towards Jesus. Whether you're trying to locate yourself in your own spiritual seeking or help a friend grow in their faith, The Five Thresholds gives you key skills to do that well. Are you ready? To start, reflect about your own context or life. Think about your own journey How did you move toward the process of faith? Can you tell a story that relates to this faith journey? Think about a friend. Who do you know who's in the process of faith? And how can you help one or two friends take that step of faith?
0: So that takes it in a little bit different direction. But as we have conversations with people, one of the things we can be doing is saying, okay, where are they on this process? And my goal is to get them to following, but my goal is actually just to get them to the next step. And obviously, the Holy Spirit has to be in work in the person's life. I can't generate this on my own. But as I'm having conversations, I'm building this relationship, I'm asking the question, where is this person on this path? And that actually gives me some idea for where I need to go even in the conversation. I'm not trying to get them to following immediately. I'm trying to get from trust to curious. So I might just ask a question right there. Hey, have you thought about this? Or or what do you think about this? Or, hey, I, I heard this thing at church. What do you think about this? Or have you ever considered God? Have you ever thought about the Bible? It's very, very innocuous. But then we, we keep moving there from open, and then you know what happens? is It goes from me asking questions to that person asking me questions. And that's really where you start to see people engaged in this process here. But I thought that was just a great, great illustration of what we're talking about. So, what does this look like for us? Well, let me go back to the story here. Because I said we're looking at just what Jesus did, not what he actually taught here. What Jesus taught here is super important, too. And just two simple ideas as we finish up here this morning. The first one is this. We are being to inviting people to our tables. This is what Jesus said, and that's what his parable at the end of this, that we talked about two weeks ago, is we need to be inviting people to our tables. We need to be intentional about going out to those who don't know Jesus and inviting them to our tables, maybe literally, maybe it's your table at, at work, at lunch, or maybe it's your neighbors over for dinner, or, or maybe it's your family at the holiday, but we invite people to our tables literally, but also figuratively. How are we inviting people into our lives or maybe even inviting ourselves in other people's lives? We need to be doing that. That was the point of Jesus' story here. The second point of Jesus' story is this. We need to care more about others than we do about ourselves. And one of the ways that we can put people into a higher seat like Jesus shared here is to realize that they are people with needs, that they are people with burdens, that they are people with questions, that they are people that may be spiritually lost who need Jesus. But I'm going to make them more important than me in this situation. You know, I think what's interesting here is we talk about spiritual conversations. A lot of times we look at this and go, Oh, I don't know why I want to go there because I might turn that person off. Well, if you don't have a great relationship with that person to start with, that might be true. So you might need to just move from that trust to curious, that stage, and, and not go into something real deep because that's, that's fair. But if you've got a, a, a relationship with somebody and they know that you care about them, and there's trust that's been built, you can go here in a conversation. Because if you, if you handle this right, and you can go there kindly, you can go there just asking questions, you don't have to be you know, beating them over the head with, with, your, with your, your gospel club, but you can do this, and if they know that they care, that's not going to ruin your, your relationship. It's going to be fine let me just tell a story and we'll be done. When I was a kid, uh, my dad took me to the barber. Um, Tim Koss was the barber's name. And every time that I went there, it was the same thing. I had these two colics and the the barber would always joke with me, you know, like, we're just going to have to nail those to your head. So so I haven't always had this kind of great hair. Um, It kind of came later in life. and, uh, And actually, I do have hair just, and I'm not losing it. It just starts way back on my head. But, but I would go every week, not every week, but every month I would go to Tim Costa Barber, and so would my brother go to Tim Costa Barber, and so did my dad go to Tim Costa Barber. And Tim was a guy, probably in his middle 30s, something like that. I still remember him, kind of a stocky guy and, and had kind of reddish hair. And uh, But we'd go to the barber, but my dad would go there, and you know what he did? When he sat in the barber chair, you know what the barber does with you? He talks to you. And my dad would have conversations with Tim Cost, the barber and over haircuts over the course of months they would have conversations and you know what happened to those conversations they started to turn spiritual just a little bit at a time until there was that one day when Tim Cost became a follower of Jesus too the barber they used to cut my hair why because my dad would sit in a chair and say, you know what, let's just talk. And those conversations become spiritual. And Tim Cost trusted Christ, and his wife, Nancy, trusted Christ, and their two kids, Colette and, and um, Mark trusted Christ, and they came to our church. And uh, Tim ended up passing away from cancer pretty young, and, uh, but, but we knew where Tim was going. And um, it was interesting, I was talking to my sister back about six months ago, and she said, you know who looked me up on Facebook? Mark Koss. Do you remember the Kosses from when we were kids? Yeah. Still living for the Lord. Why? Because somebody was willing to have a spiritual conversation. And so I say this to you, I don't have this mastered at all, okay? I'm learning, and I'm trying to get better at this too, but this is something that we can all do because everybody needs to eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the encouragement it is to us. Jesus, we thank you for your life. And even some simple things that we see here in the story and we see at other places, the woman at the well, what a classic example, Jesus, of when you had spiritual conversations. But I pray this morning that you would encourage us just with the idea that we can do this. So as we pause this morning, let me just ask these questions. First of all, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you taken steps there? Or maybe you still have questions. I'd love to talk to you about those questions. Have these spiritual conversations. But you can at any time that you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. If you are a follower, the question is, where are you having these conversations in your life and if you're willing to do that and maybe you don't have the place to do that maybe today your question is okay maybe your prayer today is this Jesus help me to be aware of the people in my life or help me to be more intentional about getting to the table and getting people to the table but if you can think of people maybe you identify people in your sphere of influence Maybe you're willing today to make that commitment to say, hey, you know what? I'll start that conversation. Jesus, I pray that we would be encouraged, knowing that your spirit is at work in the people around us. It's really not up to us, and response is your business, not ours. I pray that you encourage us with this today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know a simple conversation is simply inviting people? Uh, we've got this cafe night coming up Saturday night. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be fun. And uh, But you can be inviting people to that. You can invite people to church anytime. That's just a simple step. I mean, you can even start with a question like, Hey, you ever gone to church? Or did you used to go? And they say, Yeah, well, why did you used to go? You just ask a question and see where it takes you. But just want to encourage you with that. As you leave today... And we're going to come back in here in like five minutes. But as you leave today, there will be your take it with you at the door. And the take it with you this week is this, got questions? And maybe, this is what we want to encourage you to do, is who's that person maybe you identified in your sphere of influence? But to sit down and actually think about a question, or two, or three, or four, that you might ask that person, and to start getting thinking in that direction. All right, let's stand together.